Now, thank you so much for your kind invitation. I always like to come back to a church where I have been before to see familiar faces, but also faces which I have never seen before. So it's, it just feels good. It feels, like, it feels almost like home. And I can even speak German. It's amazing. <laughs> and sorry, I'm not perfect in German. <laughs> I wished I would be. But I, I understand a little bit. <laughs> and sorry, Werner, I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it even for the church. I'm doing it for Jesus Christ. And because I do it for Jesus Christ, I do it for you. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for getting me set up here. Now, this is the computer of my son. It used to be my computer, but I passed it on to him. So he put some funny green savers on it, and the red baron is the background image. <laughs> so I have to apologize for this. So it might come out on, it might not be. I tried to turn it off, but I don't know if I was actually successful. So if you see the red baron flying through the skies, it's the screensaver of my son. <laughs> but I hope not. I hope I succeeded in turning it off. Well, usually I, I preach verse by verse. I just take a passage out of the New Testament usually because I used to be, uh, I used to teach New Testament at the seminary university level. And when I just go verse by verse, and I suppose this is also your preaching style, Pastor Werner and Pastor Gary. But today I will do it a little bit differently than I usually do. Because obviously I gave a series of lectures or presentations and I just want to uh, bring the biblical perspective. Not that I didn't do that already, but I want to reinforce the biblical perspective of what I already taught in these different presentations. And I believe the best book to do so is the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I would like to start out with a little story out of my own life. And that is perhaps the introduction Pastor Gary was looking for. Probably not. He was probably wanting me to say a little bit about the Berks Institute about myself. But I guess we can just leave this aside. <laughs> Let's just focus upon the Lord. But I do have a little story out of my own life to tell you. When I was very small, my parents were the janitors of a local church, the Lutheran church in Germany where I grew up uh, in. And once in a while, being small, well, a small boy, you tend to be a bit naughty. <laughs> what that meant in my case, I mean, it was not bad, but I just sneaked into... Um, the place where all the keys hang at the wall and I, I snatched the key to the local church and I just opened the door, went inside and just felt good about myself. <laughs> because it was kind of adventurous. Because no one was there, I, I locked the door again and I was just playing around, right? That's what you do when you're a little boy. And it was just exciting, and I walked up the stairs, I went into the sanctuary, and ran around, hid behind some of the um, pews, I suppose. And sometimes, someone came to the church, opened the door. I heard the, the key in the door, and I quickly I ran behind the pew and hid myself. It was just exciting. <laughs> 
because I knew I was here and he didn't know. <laughs> and I just made sure I was not caught. So once in a while, I just walked up to the, the altar and what was so amazing to me at that time, and I was, as I said, a very little boy, there was a huge Bible <laughs> on that old altar. And I was just amazed. I was just awestruck looking at that huge Bible. And sometimes I just turned the pages. I probably wasn't supposed to, but I did. Just turned the pages, looked at the big script, and it was just amazing. When I grew up a little bit and was able to read, um, I remember it still very keenly. I turned to the first chapter of Revelation, not knowing that it was Revelation, but I just turned to it. And I started reading. And the passage I was reading, as best as I could, was this description of Jesus Christ in his glorified body. And I was just blown away. By these words I was reading. And let's just turn to that passage, Revelation 1. Let's read these words describing the, the ascendant, glorified Jesus Christ in heaven. And I hope that you feel the same sense of awe which I felt at that moment when I was reading these words for the very first time. Revelation 1. Let's start at verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst in the middle of the lamb stands one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. That is Jesus Christ. Just imagine what it would have been like for the Apostle John to see into the face of Jesus Christ, the ascendant glorified Jesus Christ, and see the face shining like the sun in its brilliance. What an amazing vision this must, must have been. And it's interesting to read, for example, in the book of, or the epistle, second epistle, to the Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 
that we are looking into the face of Jesus and this is the only means for us to be changed. Right? From one glory to the next. Because we look into the face of Jesus, also chapter 4, and he changes us from the inside out. He makes us into new creatures. We don't stay the same. And the reason why we don't stay the same, and there's only one reason, that reason is because we beheld Jesus Christ in his glory. Not exactly how the Apostle John did. We, be, we behold him in faith. Obviously we study the Bible, we read about him, and we try to understand. And the Holy Spirit gives us the understanding, the correct understanding of these words. And then he does his work within us and changes us from the inside out. And this is a wonderful experience. But the key to it all is, how do we know Jesus? Well, I already said it. We know him through his word. And it should be the goal of our lives, the ambition of our lives, to study the scriptures more and more and more in order to know him more and more and more. That should be the passion of your life. It should be the passion of my life. And the Lord was good to me in many, many ways. I didn't deserve it. As I said, I was a bit naughty when I was small and growing up. But he reached down into my life and he saved me. I was not looking for him, even though I grew up in a Christian home. But he saved me out of a life of sinfulness. He made a new creature out of me, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. And he gave me the privilege to study theology, basically studying the Bible for many years. And I remember one occasion very keenly. It was shortly after Joy and I got married. By the way, Joy sends her greetings to you. <laughs> we were just married a few weeks earlier and we moved to Aberdeen, Scotland for me to continue my theological education. And I wanted to study Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? Spending every day for a whole year doing nothing else but read ten verses. Ten verses out of one chapter from morning till evening for a whole year. And you think about these ten verses and then write something about it. And I ended up writing about 250 pages. As a matter of fact, yesterday I gave, eventually it was published as a book, the book to Pastor Werner. But this is such a great privilege to be able to set aside time and just to focus in on 10 verses 
in the Bible and just think about it for a whole year. These verses were the 10 verses in the 20th chapter, the verses speaking about the 1,000 year reign of Christ, the millennium. Now my point is not that I would encourage you to do the same. Now if you have the opportunity, please do. I will not discourage you, but I'm not saying that you have to do the same thing which I did. My point is, rather, after I spend a whole year thinking about ten verses every day from morning till evening, and writing about it, writing a whole book about it, there's still more to learn about it. Would you agree? Do I know everything about it? I know quite a bit about it. Do I know everything about it? Hardly. There's still more to learn about it. So you will never come to an end studying the Bible. Never ever. There's always something new to learn about God. And the reason for that is because God is infinite. You will never come to an end knowing more about God because there's always more to know about Him. And someone said, I don't know if it's scriptural, I can't really uh, say for sure, but someone told me the reason why we live forever and ever and ever is so that we get to know God better and better and better because you need an eternity to know an infinite God. Now we need to discipline ourselves, each one of us who follow Jesus Christ, and study the Bible. That should be our first task. As I said, this should be our life's passion. Because this is the only means how we get to know Jesus Christ. And then obviously put what we have studied into practice. It should not remain theoretical knowledge. It should impact our lives. And through our changed life, it should impact our surroundings. It should make a difference in your marriage in your education or in raising children. It should make a difference in every single aspect of your life. And the more you know the Bible, the more you know Jesus Christ, the more you know Jesus Christ, the better you can handle the challenges which life throws at you. Right? So, why don't people shy away from opening the book of Revelation and don't study it. Remember there's a verse in the book of Revelation that he who reads the book of Revelation is greatly blessed. But why don't Christians shy away from it? There may be different reasons, but I believe one of the reasons why they do that, why they don't concern themselves about Revelation, um, is the fact that it's very difficult to understand. They just don't understand it. There are so many different uh, visions and metaphors, uh, picture language, which is very difficult for us to grasp, to comprehend, to understand. And I do get that. 
It's just a difficult book to get a hold of. And in some ways, or yeah, in, in a special way, we would need to know the main message of a book before we even open the book. Now that's obviously impossible. But if we could do it, this would be greatly a great help to us. Now, surely we have to open the book, read it, and read it, and read it again, and perhaps even consult a few commentaries, and pray about it, and try to understand what it means, and get the drift of it, and try to get a hold of what God want, wants to communicate to us. And then surely, after a specific time of doing that, we will understand the main message, and then we can revisit the chapters again and then try to fit the chapters into the main message and so on and so forth. But today, I would like to give you the main message already. So once you know that, it should be the key in your hands just to open it and start reading and then also comprehending what God wants to communicate to us, to me, through that particular book. Well, here's the main message. I already put it into my sermon title. God's sovereignty in action. That's the main message of that book. God is sovereign. God can do whatever He likes to do. And no one will be able to thwart Him, to prevent Him from doing what He wants to do. If he sets his mind to do something, he is surely capable, being the Almighty, he is surely capable of bringing it to pass. Do you agree? God is sovereign. God, as we have sung repeatedly, God reigns. God reigns. And that should give us amazing confidence in living our Christian life. Because God has everything under His control. Everything. There's a little spot in this universe which my life occupies. Is He concerned about that? A little speck somewhere in the universe. Hardly anyone takes notice of it. Is He concerned about my life? On a very intimate level, Utterly concerned. He knows me by name. Remember, Jesus calls his sheep by name. He knows your name. He knows my name personally. That's the kind of Jesus I believe in. And I just follow him. He's my good shepherd. And he's orchestrating and designing my life in the best possible way. Way. I could not come up with a better plan. <laughs> so it, it would suit me extremely well to get in tune with the will of God. Because once again, he's sovereign. He can accomplish what he sets out to do. And that is the message of revelation. Now this is a, a very comforting thought. It should inspire us to be extremely faithful in our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of studying the Bible, praying, witnessing to others. 
because God is behind me and in front of me and above me. Remember Psalm 139, His hand is spread above me and He surrounds me on all sides. That is amazing. This is the kind of God we believe in. Okay, keep that thought in mind because it gets a bit challenging to hold on to that idea even though it's utterly true because of this reality. The setting of Revelation. You may have never seen that image before. Well, it's the image of the Emperor Domitian and he reigned from 81 to 96 AD. 15 years reign. Who was he? He was the Roman emperor at the time when the apostle John wrote down the book of Revelation. And why did John write that book down? Where was he? He was on the island of Patmos. Why was he on that island? Because Emperor Domitian, who was the most powerful man of his age during these 15 years of his reign, no one was more powerful from a human perspective. If he said, die, the person died. If he said, you live, he lived. He persecuted the early Christians, John included. And he punished John for being a Christian. Now, why is Emperor Domitian concerned about the Apostle John? who lives in a faraway country, far away from Rome, where Domitian was sitting on his throne. Why was he concerned about someone whose name he probably had never heard? In some ways, from a human perspective, a, no a, no a nobody. Why did he send that nobody, whose only claim to fame was the fact that he was a follower of Jesus, to an island, a very barren island called Patmos. The reason is here on the screen. Domitian called himself Dominus et Deus Nostor. And that means our Lord and God. He considers himself to be divine. He considered himself to be the only God around. This was his self-understanding. Dominus et Deus Nostum. He thought he was the God of the universe. Now, if he thinks of himself to be divine, he cannot tolerate any other claim, any other competitor to the same claim. He cannot tolerate that. And there was someone, a Jewish carpenter who said he was the son of God. And there were some disciples, some followers of that carpenter who after his death went around preaching claiming Jesus Christ to be Dominus et Deus Nostra. And that was the only reason why Domitian persecuted the Christians. The only reason. There was no other reason. 
He gave them a choice to burn incense at his altar. As a matter of fact, uh, the altar of the cult of Caesar in Asia Minor was the most dedicated. The priests of that cult in Asia Minor were the most dedicated worshippers of Caesar being God. Persecuted them. So this might be another reason why the book of Revelation is not necessarily, uh, not necessarily popular among Christians. Because they are immediately confronted with a very dire reality. On the, in the first chapter, when I read the name of the island Patmos, they are immediately confronted with the reality of the fact that Christians are being persecuted for the simple reason of their allegiance to Jesus Christ, who claims to be the Son of God. That's the only reason. And we Christians, being also human, don't like the thought of being persecuted. That doesn't really fit into our understanding of what Christianity is all about. Right? Christianity should be something which improves my life every day a little bit more. And here I realized when I opened the Bible that the moment I believe in this Jesus, trouble will come into my life. And our natural reaction, and that is natural, I can totally sympathize with that reaction, identify myself with that reaction, is to shy away from it, to close the book. No, I don't want to listen to that kind of message. It doesn't fit very well into my self-understanding of what a Christian is or what Christianity is supposed to be. And yet, if we are true to ourselves, if we take our faith serious, as John, the Apostle John did, by the grace of God, he paid the penalty. He was willing to go well, he was really taken. He was not willingly going. He was taken. But he did not disclaim his allegiance to Jesus, which he could have done. He did not recant. In that sense, he went willingly. Right? He went to that island as a penalty. It's for as a penal, penal island. But to remember or realize or acknowledge the fact that once he had done that, what happened? What happened next? Was the life of the Apostle John better and exceedingly better living on the island of Patmos than it was before? Remember, he was punished. But how did God turn around that kind of punishment? And he did turn it around by giving the Apostle John the most glorious revelation of Jesus Christ imaginable. That thought needs to sink into your conscience. 
Yes. Human beings mean it evil. No doubt about it. God means it well. And this is what Joseph already noted in regards to his brothers sending him off into a far away country in order to save the family of Jacob, the 70 members of that family years later. God meant it well. And not just well, exceedingly, exceedingly well. He saw Jesus face to face. He saw into the face which shone like the sun in all its brilliance. Would you like to see that same vision? It gets worse. Okay, if you were thinking about Domitian to be the world potentate at the time, persecuting the Christians to their death, he sent many of them into the arena to be devoured by lions. If you think that was already bad enough as a consequence of just following Jesus, believing in Jesus, glorifying his name, praying to the Son of God. If you think this was already bad enough, well, the book of Revelation has news for you. It gets worse. Because the book of Revelation speaks about a person coming on the scene of world history, eventually in the future, whose name is called the Beast. And we know that individual from other passages in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, for example, or 1 John chapter 2, we know that man to be the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be a world potentate. All the nations, all the peoples, all the languages, will, all the tribes will pay homage to that one individual. And he will give out his name, the number of his name, which is 666, the number of the beast. And all of inhabitants of the world will accept that number, except those who were written in the Book of Land by the reviews. And for their refusal to accept the number of the beast, they will be martyred, they will be killed off, executed, done away with. That is another message of the book of Revelation. John prophesied, prophesied the rise of an Antichrist, and the Antichrist has once again nothing more to do or nothing more seriously or importantly to do than to persecute the church. And the only group which will resist his rule and they have to pay with their own death is that group who follows Jesus. They choose death rather than life. And I mentioned that thought already in one of my presentations. Is this your conviction? If you follow Jesus, you accept death rather than life if you are challenged in regards to giving up your faith. 
And I do have news for you. We will all be challenged in some ways or another. Now, the child might, might not always be a life and death issue, but it could be. And for many others, even in our time and age, for many others, it is a life and death issue. The 20th century and obviously the, the first few years in the 21st century was on is the time where most Christians are persecuted worldwide. Not the first century. First century, the number of persecuted Christians and those who ended up martyrs pales in insignificance in comparison with the number of all those who died for their faith in the 20th century. And I don't believe it's getting much better. I don't see much improvement in regards to the persecution of the church in our time. So is this our conviction? I call on the name of the Lord, and if I do, I may have to pay a price, and the price is my own life, for doing so. If you are a true Christian, this is your, your conviction. There's no other way around. If you're not a true Christian, or if you don't have that conviction deeply impressed upon your conscience, you might not be a true Christian. Because there's only one alternative. Either pay homage to someone who claims to be divine, be it a kind of Domitian, or eventually the Antichrist, or someone who is truly, truly divine, Jesus Christ. These are the alternatives. There's nothing in between. And like Domitian forcing his claim on everyone else. Like the Antichrist, if you read through the 13th chapter of Revelation, like the Antichrist pressing his claim on anyone else, including and especially the Christians, you be better sure in regards to your own allegiance to that one, the risen Christ sitting on his throne, who is sovereign. Now could he put an end to any, dis any persecution in a split second, right? Split second. He could call it quits. He could, uh, he will destroy the Antichrist one day when he comes back with the breath of his mouth. So if he allows persecution to proceed, this is part of his plan. Would you agree with me? As difficult it is to accept that idea. Would you agree with me that this is part of God's plan, which he lays out in front of us, especially in the book of Revelation? The answer is yes. Let's come back to that one thought I mentioned earlier in regards to the Patmos experience. John was persecuted. And out of that persecution came the most amazing experience with Jesus Christ imaginable. Will we persist? Will we sustain? Will we be able to withstand times of persecution on our own? The answer is no. What do we need to know 
what, ultimately, what do we need to see? We need to see the face of Jesus Christ. And where do we see that? We see it in one book. And I'm making that point over and over again. It's only one point, ultimately. We need to be grounded in the Scriptures. Pastor Werner, Pastor Gary, this is your duty to ground your fo- uh, the flock which God entrusted to your care, the spiritual care, in the Scriptures. You don't need to know anything else. Uh, you know many other things. But make sure you know the Scriptures. There's no other help available to you. This is the means God ordained to equip you to face any situation up to persecution, up to martyrdom. And here comes the most glorious thought I would like to share with you. Victory of Christ over the satanic imitation. The kingdom of the world becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Chapter 11, verse 15. You might want to memorize that one verse. The kingdom of the world becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Victory is assured. We will partake in the triumph of a triumphant King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods, returning into this world to set up his throne, to establish his kingdom. And we will be co-rulers with him. We will get to the end. We will partake of his triumph. As a matter of fact, the victory is already accomplished. It is already done. It is finished. This is what Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. And in 1 John, I believe 3, verse 18, we know that we have eternal life. We know we have, have perfect tense, past tense. We have it. And then, obviously, another verse in the same epistle, 1 John, our faith is the victory which has overcome, has, past tense, has overcome the world. So yes, there will be persecution. And yes, we will prevail because Jesus has already prevailed for us on our behalf on the cross. The victory has been accomplished on the cross and this is what we were celebrating and remembering in regards to the elements for Lord's Supper. We remembered and celebrated His victory over every single satanic force there is. You will not experience victory unless you will be put into a situation where victory is utterly necessary. How can you experience victory if you never feel the battle? Right? Every Christian is put into a battle situation. This is the normal Christian life. Every Christian will be persecuted, will be, not might be, possibly will be, No, will be certainty, will be persecuted, every single Christian. This means we are in a battle situation. 
every single day, from morning till night, we are fighting a spiritual war in a spirit of war. If you don't experience that, once again, question yourself in regards to your status. Are you truly in the faith? Because if you are truly in the faith, you will experience difficulties. And this morning, when I was sitting at the breakfast table, just chatting with Werner and Ella, asking them about their experiences setting up a church, planning a church, a new church. Well, they said it, was a, it's, it still is a glorious thing. They couldn't think of anything better to do, right? You dedicated your life to do that, and the Lord helped you in many ways, supplying for your needs, giving you a company, and so on and so forth. Giving you that nice facility here to rent. But you said you experienced many, many challenges and heartaches, hardships, troubles, and you still do. Right? And once again, this is the normal Christian life. It's nothing extraordinary. This is what we should expect. And if you don't experience that at all, once again, I challenge you to rethink your own particular confession. Are you truly in the faith? Now, do I say that, oh, I'm looking forward to having some more trouble? I'm not saying that at all. Right? All I'm saying is, if you do follow Jesus Christ faithfully, trouble will appear. Just out of a normal uh, line of events. That's just how it is. That is reality. And I'm not, well, you know, I'm German, so I'm not uh, guarding my language. <laughs> Germans are known, I don't know if you know, Werner, in that regard, I don't know. I'm, but Germans are known for being rather direct. Right? And that's just how I am. That's just my culture. But I think this is also helpful to you. If I would beat around the bush, what good would it do? Right? Now, having said that, being direct and challenging you and your in regards to your faith, and I do go to different churches doing the very same thing what I'm doing here. And I'm doing, I hope you also know I'm doing it in a loving way. <laughs> but I do it. And by just doing it, the heat is being turned up. Just about in every other church. Because it's very Invariably, there are some people who don't like it. Do I say the truth? Which comes from the scriptures. Do we understand that Domitian was the emperor when the Apostle John was writing down that revelation? Is it true that the book of Revelation speaks about the Antichrist persecuting the Christians? It's true. All I'm doing is telling you what I have read in the scriptures. I'm not doing anything else. But invariably, some people don't like it. And they make their displeasure very quickly noticeable. 
Praise God that I experience many, and I, I can truthfully say, after all these years following Jesus Christ, many more blessings. Because some people don't like what I say. And as a matter of fact, in the a Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, jump up and down. Be joyful if your name is being reviled for my sake because your reward is big. We have to have an internal perspective. We have to look to the rewards, right? Jesus, Hebrews 12, Jesus endured the opposition of sinful man because he looked to his reward. Right? He endured the pain and the shame of a cross and he could do it, endure it because he looked forward to his eternal reward. You are his reward. I am his reward. And this is why we follow Jesus. Revelation was written as a trumpet call to faith. This is a statement which you find in the book of Revelation, a commentary written by E.F. Scott. Now, in some ways, you could save it about every single book of the Bible. It's a trumpet call to faith. It should strengthen our faith, right? It should help us to live a life of faith. But I believe that commentary, uh, commentar- uh, comment- commentary, uh, or something like that. Um, e. F. Scott expressed a certain truth. The book of Revelation is, in particular, in a very special sense, a trumpet call to faith. And it should strengthen the faith. It should give us courage. It should encourage us to engage in the battle, the battle with the anti-Christian forces in the world. We should be highly encouraged. Once again, I already told you why. Because God is on our side. He has triumphed. We are just partakers of His victory. And once we experience the victory in very concrete situations, our faith is strengthened. We are encouraged to keep going. A trumpet call to faith. Read the book of Revelation. You do yourself a disfavor, a disservice if you don't, if you avoid that rather difficult message. You do yourself a great disfavor if you keep that book shut and the Bible on the shelves because you don't experience all the blessings which go along with partaking in Jesus' victory. And it helps us to bear witness to the one true Lord and Savior of the world. This is what God is doing in our lives. He's preparing us. He's discipling us. He's equipping us to be His witnesses in a hostile world. That's what He does. And this is why I highly recommend and encourage Pastor Gary to take a number of men under his wings, under your wings, and take them out to do just that, to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And obviously we can do it 
in different other situations. We don't need to go to the streets. We can do it in the midst of our relatives, in the midst of our friends, in the midst of our co-workers. We can do it over the internet as I do. You can travel for 12,000 miles and do it in a different country if God gives you the opportunity. And praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ for giving me the opportunity to say this to you. Far away from where I normally live. Who is God? <laughs> Who is that God you believe in? And I'm coming to an end fairly quickly. What is the purpose of the book of Revelation? Remember the headline? The purpose of the book of Revelation. First we looked at the settings. Domitian and so on and so forth. Antichrist. And now we are in the purpose section of that particular book. What's the purpose of that book? What does God want us to know about him? What does he want us to see in regards to himself? He is, let's repeat it together, he is sovereign. Don't forget it. He's sovereign. He rules. Just don't sing it. Believe it. Take it to heart. Live on that rock of your faith. God is someone. That's the central theme from beginning to end. And I just put up a few references. We could, I could give you the first to the last verse in order to give you, you the evidence that that statement is correct. But these references are in particular pointing to God's sovereignty. And ultimately there will be a kingdom of God being established and ultimately we will realize in a very intimate way that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the kind of God we believe in. The Almighty we can do anything. Anything. Is something too difficult for the Lord? Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we are once again awestruck being confronted face to face with the reality of who you are. But we can never get to the end of it. We will spend our whole life trying to grasp the enormity, the vastness of that one truth which you conveyed to us in the book of Revelation, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you are of one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the kind of God we believe in. We are witnesses of that kind of God. We go out on, onto the streets to reach out to the people who have not yet understood that they will have to face that kind of God eventually. And there's only one way to salvation and that way it's the cross of Jesus Christ. That cross where you 
sacrificed your life on our behalf, that you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the only way. It's the only means of salvation. But if we put our faith in you, Lord, we experience life eternal because you will send your Holy Spirit into our hearts. You will change us from the inside out. You will make us into new creatures. And we will have a whole different life purpose. And that life purpose is expressed in the words which I already mentioned in the sermon, to know you better and better and to make you known to a lost world around us. To worship you. Jesus, I pray that you help us to see you in the way how you truly are. Amen.